Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled. Hello and welcome to a very special live episode of Pixel Sift here at Perth's Oz Comic Con. I'm Gianni, I'm the EP of Pixel Sift and I'm joined by my co-hosts Mitch and Scott. Hey, I didn't know we were doing the intro sound effect, that scared me. Just like a, it's like a real episode, but live. Yeah, if you, uh, if you subscribe, you'll hear that every week. If you can see, kind of tucked in behind the monitor as well there, we've got James who's doing all the video stuff at the moment. He, he might make something happen to make you see that. Uh, this is a special milestone episode for us because we produce a weekly program, and this is episode 26, which means six months, if you can divide 52 by two. Uh, We've been friends for that long. Six months into this journey, that's right. Each week we put together a podcast and we look at the bigger issues in gaming and we stream out that podcast on Twitch and even play some games on our channel when we get the chance. A lot less than my wife would would tell you that we play games, uh, but it does happen occasionally. Today we'll be backing, weird, man. Yeah, we'll be tackling some of the topics you may have heard about in the news as well as some of the broader concepts about playing and enjoying games. We like to turn a critical eye to the games we play and also talk about some of our personal experiences when playing games. Uh, we love to talk to game developers, like some of the, uh, the Byte Sprite team that we have here in the front of the Call row. Uh, and they tell us their story about how they came to make the games, the business of putting a game together, and the things that they've learned along the way. Uh, you'll hear from some of the other developers we've talked to uh, in the past uh, a bit later in the show. Uh, today we'll be also looking at a couple of topics and we'd love for you to jump in at any time. So if you want to come in and say anything about the topics that we're talking about, just put your hand up and one of, our, uh, one of the helpful OCC staff will get a microphone over to you guys. So today we'll, you talking about, yeah, today we'll be talking about the differences between linear and non-linear games uh, as well as how time constraints can impact our enjoyment. Yeah, I was also looking at fan feedback and how that can affect the decision a developer makes and um, how could that affect some changes they might make to the game thereafter. And finally today we'll be talking about how we communicate and games and how that's changing and what that means when developing a community around your game. All that and more coming up on episode 26 of Pixel Six. Is that a sound effect for this? Do we have a sound effect? Go for it. <laughs> hey. I forgot we were playing this. You're listening to Pixel Sift. Or you might be watching Pixel Sift on Twitch. That's James. Pixel Sift. Talking. Our first topic for today, we're going to be talking a bit about linear versus non-linear gameplay styles and storytelling throughout that. We've been looking at some topics throughout the games and looking at some different examples of how games can tell a story, either by letting you discover the way that you play the game and the story that you're experiencing, or by guiding you along a shorter, or maybe maybe not shorter, uh, guided process of the actual... Yeah, we're talking about this in depth 
yesterday, and we actually didn't. We actually made the mistake a couple of times of mistaking non-linear for open world, and that's not what we want to talk about here. We want to talk about the decisions you make, uh, kind of like, for example, let's compare ma a game like Mass Effect, um, like how you can make those decisions and you know, it affects the outcome of the game, or a game, for example, like Halo, where it's pretty linear and your outcome is going to be the same no matter what you do. But there is a reason why we confuse open world with, uh, you know, non-linear games, is because generally open world games are non-linear. The fact that they open up your you know, possibilities to do whatever you want means that, you know, by default, they're not linear. I mean, developers that we've talked to in previous episodes have said that even in games where the experience is kind of bespoke and generated every time, there's actually quite a bit of writing that goes into those sort of storylines. And while it might be an open world, like, well, not open world, making the mistake again, but it may be a non-linear sort of experience, there is writing that's sort of involved when putting that sort of thing together. Yeah, I think that came along with as consoles and computer hardware got more powerful over the years. I think they wanted to really capitalize on that and make their games broader and more complicated. And one of the ways to do that was to give the players more options. Yeah, well, the, time, the time we were kind of like peaking, I feel, with the quality of games like that, games like Final Fantasy VII and whatever, you know, where at the time it felt like this huge spatial kind of adventure. But at the end of the day, it was pretty linear and you had a direction, but it was great. I feel like we peaked there. Now we're pushed for open world. We're pushed for non-stop choices. And in doing that, we've kind of lost a lot of direction in gameplay. And there's also lots of controversy we see with people like we have Mass Effect up on the screen right now, as you can see. And of course, the the third uh, Mass Effect, Mass Effect 3, came out, and there was a lot of complaints when people came out from that because it was a story where you could choose the way that everything unfolded. And when it got down to the final end part of the game, a lot of people complained because there were a lot of sort of like strict choices you had to make, and they didn't tend to reflect the didn't rest seem to of make the game. Much of a difference. Yeah. It yeah. seemed that. Because a lot of your decisions that you made during those three games seemed to affect a lot of small things, when it came down to the big, you know, big ending and super want, you know, people weren't happy with the three options that you pretty much got at the end, no matter what you did during those three games. Mm. And I think those expectations didn't meet you know, the requirements of what they wanted. See, I think the problem with, uh, I'll, I'll again use it in that, I know the difference between open world and non-linear, but I think the problem with these open world and, you know, uh, non-linear games essentially is that, you know, they've got to make up the story elsewhere, so you end up doing a lot of this busy work and a lot of grinding stuff, and, you know, I like games, say, with Bethesda, where they've got, like, you know, the little pit-clocking games and stuff like that, but generally, these time-wasting and old these additional times to make up the, the size of the game are a bit of a exactly that waste of time. They're not, you know, they're not a good part of the game, I guess. If, if you were down earlier, they were talking uh, at the Perth the Indie Story uh, panel, uh, they were talking a little bit about the game Minecraft, for example, which when it first came out had no real storyline at all. Basically, actually didn't really have any instructions at all. You kind of had to sort of figure your way through it. And there was that sort of feel where people were having this experience of kind of telling each people, uh, each other, this is how you build a set of armor, or this is how you build a bucket, or this is how you do that sort of thing. So it was all about the, the player deriving a, a narrative and creating a, a, a player-driven, player-created sort of experience and, yeah. and telling the story themselves. Minecraft capitalizes on a concept that I love. It's the player narrative versus the constructed narrative. What's and like user generation thing. Yeah, yeah, so when Mass Effect had a very strong constructive narrative, narrative that the player could manipulate, but that's not necessarily the player narrative. The player narrative is the individual actions that the player takes during gameplay. And that, I think... I think the player has difficulties setting that aside from your narrative choices that are written. 
and maybe that's why there was a bit of outrage regarding the Mass Effect ending. And I mean, you think of even like all sorts of other games as well. Like, for example, if you take a game like FIFA, where that doesn't have a defined storyline, but you can construct your own storyline as you go through. Because, exactly. you know, maybe you're following a team and you've been doing trading and all that sort of stuff. Or maybe you've been playing with friends and you've been doing a tournament that way. And the story that you make as part of it is a very non-linear experience. It's very different depending on how many goals you get. Yeah, but, I mean, would you that. call that a story game, though? Like, you're creating a story out of a game that is essentially not a story-based game. Like, it's a bit... I don't know. I don't know. I had a lot. Of, I had a lot of fun, like telling people about the games that I used to play, like playing games like Age of Empires, for example. Which you know, there's, there is a story campaign, but playing a random sort of map with people in it and sort of recounting that tale to other people was like quite an enjoyable experience. And even games like War, uh, Warcraft Three, you know, where you play a pretty much a random map, but you would kind of tell your friends the story of what happened in your game. I think that's always existed. Like it, it just creates a talking point among people that even in single player it doesn't even have to be multiplayer like I guess they can experience something entirely different like even in those first levels of Mario I think there's like a you can't play that exactly the same as the person next to you it's like almost impossible and I think that's the beauty of it really definitely is I mean, there's lots of different ways to kind of interpret this non-linear thing and we're kind of word falling into the trap of saying open world stuff as well you know, as you can see up on the screen here, we've got the first uh, Halo game that came out. And, and we were talking about this earlier, that the first time through when you reach onto the Halo ring, there's actually multiple different paths you can take. And I always tended to take the same path moving in sort of a counterclockwise sort of way. But it wasn't until like many years later that I realized you could kind of go anywhere you wanted as soon as you did it. And the story was always going to do the same. You had to achieve your first three objectives and then move on to the next level. But the way that you kind of approached it and what happened while you were doing that kind of varied depending on whoever was playing the game and what sort of experience they had. So. Yeah, so that's your player narrative. And that's my player yeah. narrative as well. But like the overarching created narrative was the one that Bungie had put in place and saying that once you completed these three sections, you could then move on to the next level and move into the next part of the storyline as well. So kind of a mix between the linearity of a, a, a you know a single-player level-based game um, or even co-op as well uh, and that had another player created narrative on top of that um, but then also having a player created narrative through your own experience of playing a game I think uh, like another one that kind of does that and well Diablo 3 I guess you know you, um, you, you know it's pretty open as far as you can adventure around you don't have to do that in a linear fashion but if you're questing and doing it properly properly it is linear where like, it doesn't have to be. And a lot of the replayability of that game is kind of just going back through and, and doing your own thing many, many times as you're, as you're kind of doing it. Like, there is a storyline, but you just go and play those levels again and, and what happens in those things is like maybe something had dropped and that's what you'd, you know, you'd come across, basically. You're like, oh, wow, i got a legendary piece of gear and I didn't have that before. And so do you think we're going to get to a level where now games are going to be a bit simpler? Like, they're just going to go back to that linear narrative? I think there's always going to be kind of place for all different types and that we are sort of seeing I mean space was always the constraint really you know back yeah. in the, the cartridge days when you only had like you know a couple of megabytes to deal with um, to store your entire game you couldn't give as many possible permutations and options for everyone to kind of play around with so now that we've got semi-infinite space on everyone's consoles in terms of designing the thing there you can kind of have many different sort of options but well, that's it we're pretty inundated with open world and huge world stuff at the moment i feel like that's kind of that bubble's about to burst and at some point a little bit more direction is going to be put into them and not just uh you know fighting to make the biggest map i guess we did mention this briefly when we talked about um episodic gameplay and we talked about life is strange and 
it seems that instead of, I guess, creating these open-ended games, we're now creating very directional games where the player does choose some things that happen in the narrative, but ultimately there is one goal. Mm. And yeah, I think there's room for everything. Yeah, the, the possibilities are endless. We might jump into our next topic right now. We'll still do wiggly yeah. This week, you may have seen some of the controversy that would have come out uh, following the release of a... Well, it was kind of a forum post, really. That's Dude, kind of... this, this topic has the best episode, like notes ever. It just says Tracer, but... Yeah. Yeah. So, one of the... And you've got a bit of information on this yeah, one I on do. here, yeah. Mitch. Uh, a, character, a person on the Blizzard uh, forums jumped online and had a bit of a, a, a criticism of the way that the character Tracer had been characterized and some of the character design and the gameplay design of the way that they had put the thing together in that... Uh, well, I guess you, you jump into yeah, it. Yeah, so basically they, they weren't too happy with the way that Tracer was portrayed in one of her victory animations. And that's just like her back to the camera and a butt showing, pretty much. So to his credit, um, I would just like to stress out that we're not really talking about Tracer herself, but he proposed that in, in a very civil manner and um, in a very nice way that this didn't really fit the character and he's not, he was really confused as to why that this pose was put in. And he actually said that he wasn't he wasn't against sexualization in the whole of Overwatch, but just this particular character. And he put in, put together some good points, which I was very proud of him for. Yeah, in, in that sense. Well, we don't know. It could be him or her. Basically, yeah. we don't know online. But yeah, Phipps. Phipps is the person yeah. there on the Battle.net forums. Again, yeah. when any of this sort of stuff comes out, people tend to get a bit vitriolic about how they yeah. criticize people about this particular thing. But in, in terms of putting together a uh, you know a well reasoned ar argument as to why this character shouldn't be the particular way, or you know why this particular uh, and the victory animations are kind of just like vanity things that you kind yeah. of put on at the end. You kind of pick whatever you want and you unlock them. It's very you know that that sort of thing, completely player driven. Well, what I, what I liked about his post is, if you read it, it just it says it, there's not a lot of passion in the post yeah. because he doesn't he well they don't get very emotional about it and it's just this is how it is this is how I feel yeah and uh, it, it was very it was very adult actually mm. which is something that I yearn for in video game discourse mm. just you know an adult conversation. Well, this is, yeah. it was part of the beta testing stage, and this is beta feedback. It's exactly what, you know, it's in place for, is this kind of feedback, you know, for, like, improvements for the story and improvements for, you know, and just any changes in general. Uh, and, like, this isn't political correctness gone wrong. Like, it's not about, you know, video games kind of sexualized, being, you know, characters being sexualized or whatever. It was context. This character isn't kind of sexual and it shouldn't be kind of sexualized. Well, based, like, her, her victory shouldn't just be based on sexualization. There are other characters in the game that are still, you know, all sexified and fine because that suits their, it's, it's contextually kind of like works. Also, that, that is not her only victory animation. It is one of her many victory animations. Yeah, no doubt. And, and, yeah. That, and that animation as well is actually shared with a bunch of other characters, both male and female as yeah, well. It seems yeah, like they just yeah. rigged the character to just a bunch of other characters just have the same rigging. The fact that she's in, like, you know, spandex pants kind of things adds to the shape and show, I guess. But the point of this is that this kind of talk actually drew Blizzard's attention even though it did get quite like the the post itself got a lot of negative negative reactions but 
Blizzard themselves reacted to it and said, yeah, we weren't entirely happy with it ourselves, so we've decided to change it. And yeah, kind of just said, yep, that's at first when they first started out, they were like, yeah, okay, it's gone, no probs. And then they came back afterwards and sort of clarified their position. Um, Jeff Kaplan, who is one of the creative leads on Overwatch, and also Chris Metzen, who is from Blizzard, also said when they were pitching this game is that they wanted to have characters who were diverse, who had lots of different variety in their actual representation. Um, they weren't just, you know, the standard sort of video game characters that you see in every single thing, um, but had a variety of different you know, expressions effectively of, of, of different type of sort of things. So that, I mean, this is what we said in the panel earlier with, uh, you know, making games in Perth, we need a sort of variety of different points of view whenever we're creating, yep. creating stuff as well. And I'm not for like feedback directly affecting a game, especially like if it's just one person out crying, but like this is, I think this is a good choice. And, I think, I, and you know, it's not the first time fan feedback's led to promising moves in a game, especially big games. Like look at Destiny. Yeah. I think when you can present a compelling argument, in a way that doesn't you make you come across as a child. Mm. I think that, that should be taken notice of. And I think the gaming community should be rewarded for that kind of, yeah. well, like the for that kind of discourse. The difference about the gaming community is that they do have access to all the people that are making the games and, and, and you know, have, have power to change the games. And they listen to, because they should be, because they're a loyal but you know, often volatile oh, cool. community. Yeah. <laughs> Um, we spoke earlier to Nick McDonald. He's one of the developers of a game that comes out of Melbourne called Screen Sheet. Um, and he told us a little bit about how sometimes the feedback might not be as representative of uh, everything as you... Nick McDonald? Nick McDonald, yeah. We found out that 75% of our players, or something along those lines, uh, actually just play locally anyway. So despite everyone demanding that we have online and then everyone demanding that we fix our online play. Turns out almost no one's playing it anyway, and the people who do play it are the vocal minority. So it's kind of this weird push and pull between trying to maintain public image and also make the best experience. Exactly right. So, I mean, there is a, you know, and people have told us many of this as well, is that on a sort of anonymized online version, there is difficult ways for people to kind of express themselves in a, a reasonable, well thought out way. And this example here is a pretty good example of how someone can put it forward a good argument and not attack anyone in particular, kind of just criticize something at a, at a, at a good level and not resort to you know, attacking people and going well, You can crazy. be adults about it. I mean, like, like, I'll go back to it. Like I said, Destiny, I mean, that game was transformed by fan feedback and because Bungie have a good relationship with their fans it's turned into you know one of the best games or one of the biggest games at the moment uh, I guess another one's Borderlands uh, their first one they took into a lot of consideration the feedback from the first one they're like people saying it's a little bit too light and whatever and that's why Borderlands 2 came out with and it was a lot, you know it's pretty strong they're both great games but I think 2 was a good improvement and it was all due to fan feedback I mean, it is, it is obviously difficult and sort of a juggling act between measuring your differences between what people are saying and whether those people are going to be representative of what you're actually talking about as well. And as sort of Nick mentioned in there, there can be people who complain very loudly and they actually have the metrics and the, the, the stats to put back up that the people who are complaining about this particular game mode in that mode, it's a local multiplayer game, as you may have seen on the, on the screens up there, um, and they were complaining about an online multiplayer mode and they knew that the vast majority of people didn't actually play it and that it was only for a very small amount of people, but those people were allowed vocal minorities. So, you know, those sort of people cause 
can cause a bit of heart heartache. Yeah, the, the gaming community has a very loud like minority, I guess, as far as things like this concerned. It's not a bad thing. Um, Dan Connors, uh, who's the CEO of Telltale Games, also is well into the fan feedback and implementing it into their games. Like the one, we've got a quote from him saying, uh, early on we realised the power of user feedback, that it's the most important thing. Like, so they, you know, like I said, they listen to them. They take them into account. Yeah, games are unlike any other media, like, well, any other medium now because the people that play games are very used to posting their opinion and that opinion actually being heard by the people that are responsible for that media. So I guess it, they have yet to... I mean, we like to throw around this metric that the average gamer is about 35 years old. However, from what we see for the communication, they're kind of not. Like, the, the gamers aren't ready to communicate at an adult level sometimes. Well, like I said, you've got that very vocal like minority. Exactly. And you, you don't know what that demographic is, I guess. And yeah, on, on average, the gamer is a little bit older than you think, like in the mid-30s. But uh, I'd, I would say, uh, has it a chance that a lot of those people don't comment the kind of, you know... Yeah. The kind of feedback that makes it's, games get changed. It's like the Yelp reviews, you know. Most people will go out of their way to put a bad review That's on something if they had a terrible a experience. But if, it takes a lot of, t- you know, coaxing and trying to get people to put a good review in there. And, and as you said, games are sort of unique in that most people expect them to kind of change along the lifetime of a game. You know, we don't expect something like Star Wars Episode Seven to change hugely from when we watched it in the cinema to unless what we... Unless George Lucas gets involved. Yeah, unless George Lucas gets involved. Probably not a good example. Um, but yeah, it's, movies and TV shows don't tend to change too much. And, you know, if something can play about an episode of a TV show, it doesn't, you know, they're kind of yelling into the void. And yeah, there is sort of that expectation that people kind of put on people saying, well, you've got to change it because it isn't working. I mean, if something is is broken, mm-hmm. then you're kind of like, well, maybe if I can't play the game. But if it's just your personal opinion, it's, it's not really... Opinion, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> put that sort of stuff on there. We, um, we spoke to Drew Morrow. He's the developer of a game called Defect. It's a single-player spaceship building game where you... Uh, kind of build a spaceship every level and each time you kind of build from there um, and he told us all about the value of the fan feedback that he'd been receiving especially through their early access uh, as soon model. as we released on early access uh, a bunch of stuff on the forums was uh, extremely useful to us we because there's a lot of ways you can play the game because you can build a lot of stuff that uh, exactly the way you want rather than the way we've told you to we had no idea about some of the stuff that was going to happen. Like, we always play the game exactly the same way, therefore we don't know what save bugs uh, are going to happen, and that's the really useful thing about early access is just finding people who play the game completely the wrong, in inverted commas, way so that we can we can fix it up based on that. That is defect. If you haven't played it, do check it out. It's a pretty cool game. Still in early access and had done a crowdfunding campaign as well. But yeah, another Australian game you can check out there. But yeah, the sort of the early access model and, and taking that feedback on board. And you know, this uh, and we took you know, and another great example came from you know the crowdfunding uh, aspect we we're talking about uh, earlier in the Perth indie game scene that people have this ownership of a game that they expect a certain thing from a particular thing when maybe their stake in it isn't as much as what you know you or any else who may have been investing in the game. Might I think have been that's just a general kind of idea of like gamers. They do have this kind of sense of entitlement, I mean, like it, because it is the kind of community feel. It's a, you know they have access to the people, so and they feel like they should be listened to, and that's why. And I we do pay a lot of money good for these feedback. things. Good. What? We do pay a lot of money for these things, so it. Yeah. We there is a there is a certain level of consumer 
I guess. Yeah, no, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I, I think it's there for a reason. Um, but like I said, you have different ages of people and you know, different levels of uh, legitimate input. Well, I mean, all you have to do is walk Adult around input. walk around the rest of uh, Oz Comic Con and just see the sort of people who are so passionate about the things that they enjoy. You know, you see so many people in cosplay, so many people with, like, posters and fan art and everything like that. You can see how, how much people invest of themselves into into games and the media that they enjoy and that you know it's kind of when somebody almost is you know not expressing the something in the same way that you sort of feel it kind of takes you right you know it's like somebody says your favorite band is terrible you know it's kind of like oh man because yeah like like you said we've, we've talked about this before like how invested people get into games because you don't just watch a video game you you actually have to put a certain amount of a certain element of your self-worth into a game that you play, when someone tries to take that away from you, it is uh, you don't handle it very well. Well, you want it to work. We invest a lot of game, uh, a lot of time in these games. Like I spend my more time gaming than I do a lot of other things. So I want to make sure that I'm getting a good amount of enjoyment from it. And the and games you choose say something about you as well. You know, yeah, if you're saying absolutely. that if I pick this particular game over something else, you know. You, that you know is your personal sort of experience you're aligning yourself with a specific group of people I guess automatically by choosing what kind of game even by, by choosing a style of game you know first person shooter versus like RPG it says something about your character in some way in some way yeah I mean you can play all of them of course but there we go I think that's it yeah. alright let's jump into our next topic <laughs> ah. there we go. you're listening to Pixel Sift Right. I've never heard that one before. Is that that's, new? That's, no, it's, it's been around for a while. Oh, okay. There we go, promo. You might Sounds be here next week's episode as well. Uh, right now we're going to talk about uh, chat and communication in games and how the way that people kind of experience in a multiplayer game a community and how they interact with each other and, you know, the sort of consequences and benefits and boons of all that sort of thing as well. Yeah, so pretty much we're at a stage where a lot of games are actually just either leaving it out or defaulting chat off. And is that a way to make games better? I don't know. I guess one of the notable examples you can see was uh, uh, Blizzard's Hearthstone, which only has a very limited number of uh, communication options. And in doing that has, you know, obviously limited the way that people can talk to each other, but you also limit a lot of the negative feedback that comes through from from people you don't know on the internet who are just kind of having a go at you. Well, that's it. A lot of online games, especially your MMO RPGs and whatever, like they're, they're all about being kind of appealing and accessible, especially to newcomers. And, I mean, there's a lot of the kind of harassment and stuff that can come through online chat is, you know, scary as far as come jumping into a game like that is concerned. And this is a lot to do with the maturity as well that we're talking about, that we, you know, we, I, I feel that the majority of people haven't quite reached that level of maturity where they can have just play a game or, you know, enjoy a game without going out there and, you know, because they're, they're, they're personal invested you know, worth of self is that they are the best at the game and if someone ruins their game for them, they go out there and attack people. I remember back in the early Xbox Live days where, like, things like Halo, for example, actually had no mute function. So, you know, you... yeah, I didn't know that. You had to tell me that mute was a function they added. I did yeah, not know in that. Yeah, Halo 2, I don't, like back in the day, there was no mute, so you could you just had to grin and bear it or unplug your headset, and then you lose people automatically as well because a few people are kind of taking the wrong, uh, you know, the wrong direction and the wrong way that the community can do. Uh, platforms like you know uh, League of Legends, games like that, for example, have big problems with uh, bad communities as well, where certain players go and ruin it for everyone. They've got so many different uh, ways to kind of control that 
And so, so like games like that are a perfect example of that kind of, uh, you know, the, the need for a nurturing kind of community and pe- play, like, people like that bringing harassment into it do are detrimental to the kind of overall appeal of games I mean, and accessibility. People used to message you outside of the game. If you were in, like, in the main menu thing, they would find your profile and send you a message and be like, oh, you bloody whatever. Yeah. You know, and that was really... That's yeah. still, that still happens. Yeah, but it's like... I get that through PlayStation Network. Well, the, not all the time, but it happens. What's, what's the point of that sort of thing? Now, um, we spoke to Darcy Smith. He's from uh, a Melbourne game company called League of Geeks. They make a game called Armello, which is a digital board game. And they made the conscious decision to kind of limit the communications in their game because they didn't want people to kind of be awful to each other using their game as a platform. Without careful moderation, chat in game can become very toxic. Um, and we don't, we're, we're a studio where we will either do something properly or not at all. So we're not going to just throw in support for anybody to say anything. If we were going to add chat, we would have a heavy, heavily moderated system that is, we never want anyone ever to use our program, our game to spit hateful language. And that's super important to us, and it means a lot. Because we want, a, we want a child to pick up the game and be able to play it with their family or not, or just online. We want, like, we want everybody to be able to play a game and never have their experience ruined. Yeah, I, and, you know, the arguments, like, people can... Some people are just going to be completely adamant that we're wrong, but at the end of the day, we're the developers, so we can do it. <laughs> How's that for an ad? <laughs> so there you go. Making a sort of conscious design decision when creating your game. And, and, and Armello does use a sort of like a, a limited sort of chat pad function where you can kind of build small phrases out of uh, a selected number of, of options. Um, but, yeah, not opening it up for that, I guess, the abuse uh, that people can they've kind of... Also, can, they've also designed the game to be very cute and cuddly. I yeah. Guess. Like it, so it's not... It's it's not a very. I it's mean, got there, a pretty broad appeal. There is combat in it, but mm. there's not like. <clears throat> well, I've been playing a little bit of the division, and in that, when you get close enough to, you know, uh, enemy players or just other players in general, you can hear their com. And I obviously haven't run into any. Well, I haven't run into any any issues in that. I don't generally run into online harassment at all, but I can see that being kind of an issue. And by default, you hear everyone around you. Um, and there's a particular area in that game called the Dark Zone where someone was running around and kind of threatening people to tell them, get them to tell them a joke. And if they didn't tell them a joke at the right time, they get, they get shot. And then they'd have to restart and lose all this experience and stuff like that. So, you know, that sort of thing, while funny, can be like, if you didn't have a headset plugged in, you're kind of, you're kind of stuffed and you're going to lose that. Yeah, some it's, of those games like that are quite, kind of important to play with headsets. So, like, I will change the way I play. Like, just having a headset, especially if it's a first-person shooter with some kind of team. Um, I generally won't talk to people unless I'm in a team, and therefore everyone will be muted and, again, don't get that harassment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's easy enough for us to say as well, but, you know, we're all dudes as well, and I yeah, know a lot of people have had this experience dudes. where if you... <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Like, if you have a voice that people will target, if you're female or, you know, and... People just don't go on chat or they change their names because it just opens up a level of abuse that isn't 
Also, it depends on what kind of game it is. For example, GTA is... I'm sorry, GTA. I play GTA, but GTA. GTA servers are full of animals. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying, it's like it's awful. Like yeah. I don't, you didn't even need to talk. Somebody needs to do a sociology study. Yeah. Like GTA, where does that like cross over in society? When the first time I went on, it's probably all like you know lawyers and doctors and everyone just like taking some time off. I'm just gonna go like steal some cars <laughs> and do some just stuff. Absolutely, but, of my life. I think that in a game as well, this is how I've I forgot who said this, but the people that are better than you are nerds and play too much. The people that you like, the people that you destroy, are noobs and they suck, yeah. and you hate them. So the only people that you really respect are the people that you just beat. Yeah, only just. Like, only just. Without them, yeah. you'd suck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, that, that, that can go one of two ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, personally, to be honest, I think I prefer something like a Hearthstone or Hearthstone model where you actually have sort of a limited sort of interaction with people. While you can have sort of really good interactions with people, it tends to be that, the, the, you know, the anonymity of being online and like playing games like World of Warcraft, for example, where you can have people who are just, you know, are, are, are taking that attack sort of tactic on you. Or, you know, for example, RuneScape there, as you can see. <laughs> oh, you know, I had many Does stories. that look good? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, wow. cutting that edge. That awesome. Um, <laughs> RuneScape, where people would yeah. kind of get lured out into the forest and then killed by a high-level character and stuff like that. That's another psychological thing altogether. Yeah, yeah. and, <laughs> and it, it also has a barrier as well. If you're trying to go on with your game and you know, you, you're know you getting into a, a game and your first experience is a bad one, then you're probably not going to continue on. And in for, for a lot of games where you are, you know, especially with things like Steam refunds now, if you're within a certain time frame and your, your first experience is bad, you can get a refund on the game almost immediately. And, you know, it's, it's a... But something like an MMO, people just will not resubscribe or not continue to play your game. I think MMOs can tackle it in different ways. I think I, you would hesitate to call Destiny an MMO, but that has a number of different, I guess, tools that allow players to work together and meet each other very quickly, like the events that just randomly happen. Uh, while you're on patrol, and like I guess there's that Court of Oryx thing on the Dreadnought. They they require like they allow players that have never met to meet and then perform like a quick objective related um, activity. And then if they want, they can make friends, or they can just if that experience was bad, they just move on. Well, that's it. Like uh, you know, games like LOL that adopt kind of you know a point system where you can give players you know uh, a negative or positive feedback based on how you interact with them like on chat and stuff. I like to think that uh, systems like this will enable games to just have default chat on, so that you know, basically ch avoiding the issues that we're having from chat and making them. Yeah, the necessity for them to be default off. You don't Hopefully, get, we re remove that completely. You don't want to get the stick out straight away. You kind of want to be like, let's let's make this fun for everyone. No, and that's in GTA. You get the stick out immediately in GTA. Yeah. And but like, that I stick feel is like the MG yeah. assault rifle. Yeah, 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 Chat's exactly. such an important part of games these days. Now that online is so much richer and so much easily uh, accessible by people, I'd like to see. Uh, some progress in it, I guess, instead of people just randomly defaulting to not chat. Like. Some really interesting things can kind of happen. We spoke to Chris Park, and he's from a studio called Off Peak, who are based here in WA, and they're making a virtual reality game. It's a sort of a medieval jousting game, and the voice communication actually allows them to do some really interesting things. One of the really interesting things was we found a lot of people during the yeah. weekly playtest after about 20 minutes of fighting that would stand around in a group talking. And we thought this is like really weird. And so we would just, everyone would be sitting there in a group just talking about things. And I guess that's 
because of the virtual reality sense of like present sense of there being somewhere else there. It's actually kind of cool to sit and talk. So that's a whole nother can of worms, you know, uh, chatting and communicating like virtual reality is like, I don't know, well, it's I think the next level. There's a novelty in virtual reality still that people are kind of still amazingly sort of spun out by the experience that the person in front of you looks up and down and can see exactly what you're doing and... So yeah. he, made the, he made a book club game. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> like, everyone just, like, put down their weapons, no more fighting anymore. Let's all just have a nice chat about virtual reality. It's like an online lounge. Yeah. Mm. And, I, I, like, that's probably where most of this virtual reality stuff is actually going to go, to be honest. Like, everyone's talking about all this stuff with, with games and things, but I can see the vast majority of people kind of just hanging out in chat rooms, you know, second life, effectively. Yeah. And, you know, with all sorts of different avatars on there. Just wait till it gets all sort out online and you don't even have to move. You just get wired in. Yeah, Matrix style. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's... Sort um, out online. It's, <laughs> just work that one in there. I think it's, yeah, it's definitely something that would be, uh, you know, interesting to kind of follow on from. And it, it has to have a lot of thought in the way that you actually put it together. And having that many uh, sort of options open to people, obviously, it's a freedom versus curated experience and that having complete freedom means that you have the complete freedom to be a dick to everyone <laughs> um, but you know by limiting that as well you can also make sure that everyone has a good time can communicate in a civil way and you set up a good rule and, and go from there it got, we can link this back to the whole uh, linear, linear versus non-linear and open world stuff I guess like I think a little bit of direction is not such a bad thing and uh, yeah giving too many people too much choice I think leads to issues Especially in gaming. All right. Well, I think that's pretty much... Uh, Is that our time? I think that's get close the hook to time out now. Kick us off. Yes. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Pixel Sift. We're going to stick a video up on YouTube as well so you can have a look at that one. Our website is www.pixelsift.com.au. Scott. Yes. Social media. <laughs> uh, people can find us on social media. We're on the Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on YouTube. Uh, our name is Pixel Sift, one word. Except on YouTube, it's Pixel Sift AU. Yeah, AU. And Mitch? Yeah, so basically you can also find old episodes, just the audio versions on Pocket Casts, iTunes, or on the RSS link on our page. And if you want to listen to this episode again, it's going to be up tomorrow, so you can have a listen to that. Or you can watch it on YouTube as well if you want to watch with videos and whatnot. But yeah, thank you very much for listening to this episode of Pixel Sift. Thank you very much for coming. Did you know that the original Final Fantasy creator, Hironobu Sakaguchi, made a spiritual successor to that legendary series called Fantasian for Apple Arcade, and every level in the game is a handmade, physical miniature model. Enjoy unlimited access to over 200 incredibly fun games with no ads and no in-app purchases. From puzzle and adventure games to sports, racing, and multiplayer action games, everyone can count on finding something to love. Head to sifter.com.au forward slash arcade to start your free trial of Apple Arcade today at sifter.com.au forward slash arcade for a one month free trial of Apple Arcade and you'll be supporting independent video games journalism. This offer is for new subscribers only $9.99 a month after free trial. Plan automatically renews after trial until cancelled.